Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Harm Reduction Radio. We just changed the name from Addiction Treatments Network. Uh, I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, our guest is Shane Schlager. He is going to talk to us about an article that he had in Slate recently about controlled crack smoking. Um, before we start the show, I'm going to do a little, blur- a little blurb for our website, and our book, our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, a Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our guest, uh, Shane Schlager, is with us right now he's uh, multitasking a little bit on his cell phone, but we're going to bring him on uh, right now. How are Hi, you doing this evening, Shane? Oh, great. Good. Thank you for you? having me. Good. Thank you well, very much great. for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, tell me, uh, what kind of reaction did your article uh, in Slate get? Uh, really all kinds. Um, really read in the gamut. Um, from people, I think, who were very supportive of the general message that I was trying to convey, or just it's supportive of me in general, and people who were very, uh, that was one end of the spectrum, to the other end where I was completely vilified or accused of various things, um, just, just accused of a variety of things that, you know, I, you know, some unlikable accusations were made, sort of, or projections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, there were you know, people... a thousand comments on Slate, so it ran a gamut. So, uh, was this? Uh, did this get a lot more hits, a lot more comments than the other things that you've written? Oh yeah, uh, about far. Um, you know, I've never really written. That was my major piece, writing about this subject. So candidly, I mean, I actually have written about views and this before, but um, certainly I never just kind of put it out there in this way. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the level of reaction doesn't really compare to anything I've written before. Mm-hmm. So I suppose some people were saying that you're going to uh, lead people into drug use and death and that you're in denial of your addiction and all those good things. That was uh, part of the gist of it. Um, you know, it turns out they have the slightest ability to have a call to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, it's like, it, it's pretty clear. But I don't justify it in the same way that I had. Privately. Um, so, you know, I feel like well choose to place projections on I don't know it, on on the thing on the thing I wrote uh, which yeah which justifying there's no I have no need there's no audience like I'm pretty comfortable with myself I chose my own reasons for publishing that mm-hmm. well tell us a little bit about your history uh, when did you first start smoking crack and uh you know how has how has uh, the history been? Okay. Have you always been in control? Have you had any difficulties? No, like I you know like I mentioned in the article, I've definitely had this 
difficulties where I've struggled with the side effects and negative consequences of the usage. Um, you know, if I really look back on the various times when I was using, um, which, you know, incidentally, it's not like I use every day. Um, mm-hmm. When I look back, it, I had months or times, oh, on one second, bye, Lucas. Um, I had months or times when I did experience the negative consequences. At the same time, I have managed to, uh, you know, keep it together uh, as far as usually making a job or, you know, various other things. I can't, you know, I can't look at a time when crack use made my life unmanageable. It might have made it less pleasant or less, you know, it might have created efficiencies in my life, but certainly never made it unmanageable. Mm-hmm. You said you don't use uh, every day. Um, so about how frequently do you use? You know, it really depends. I mean, if you want to look at it over the whole scale of, of a 15-year sample size, um, there is no consistent pattern. Um, I, let's say last year there were periods where I certainly I did it for months at a time. There were also periods where it was twice a week or so, two, three times a week sometimes. Um and mind you, I smoke pot every day. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I I drink coffee every day and other things. Uh, you know, smokable cocaine is not is not something that's a regular part of my routine. It's just something that has happened to be there for quite a while, various degrees. Uh, so, do you see uh, your frequency of use? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Is it variable? Very variable, and you know, I think it generally reflects a bunch of other circumstances in my life. Um, so I, I can't identify a clear pattern, um, and I'm not really trying to. It's just like I found, what I found is that actually talking about it in a realistic and open way does help limit usage, or you know, helps clarify like how much or how little I should be using, um, as opposed to ha- having it just secretive, demonic aspect of my life or something, you know, that, that's so shameful, supposedly, you can't talk about it. I find that creates a greater imbalance in the amount I use. And if I just talk about it, now I can do well eventually affect lesser usage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I, I, have things changed in your life? I read your article. Has your, has your life changed? You were uh, online poker players for that was how you were making a living before. Um, is your life changed? I mean, you know, it's constantly evolving life. Um, I was a professional poker player for, uh, identified that way for eight, nine years. I guess I still kind of do. Um, so far this year, that's where my income still comes from, but devoting a lot more time and energy into writing and podcasts, uh, dope story. Um, which, you know, I think we might have some common ground there. Ours is called Dope Stories, A Rational Discussion About Drug Use. Mm-hmm. Tell me some more about your podcast. What, what things have you covered on there? Um, excuse me, listen. Um, we've got... It's a, there's a massive amount of information and the challenges to offer. So we've covered everything from... 
our own experiences, um, various distances and, and things. Um, in other words, my co-host Pauline and Liar and, and my our, our personal experiences. Um, we aim to interview people. Uh, we interview champion Grant Merson, who has his own tale of you know struggles with substances and, and harm reduction and sobriety and these things. We interviewed. I mean, my favorite episode so far is episode eight, where. Carl Hart, the author of High Price, came onto our show and you know, really helped break the productive thinking that really encased the discussion. Now, I'd read his, I read his book already, but it wasn't really until he, I sat across the table from him and, and he just really broke down some of my own um, some own bad thinking that I was able to really get my understanding to a higher level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, look, we're, we're aiming to tell all kinds of things, dope stories. And really, you know, we want we want to have a rational discussion about drug use. We want to entertain people with our own stories. We want to, I don't know, I, you know we just feel it's, you know, the time is now to actually increase our level of understanding. Passion is mm-hmm. time. Like our mission statement, I think we're at a historical point where you know we have the internet now. We don't sixty-year-old antiquated technology on addiction, or even the language that we use is so is so you know it's just it's closed in. We don't even have the ability to talk correctly and intelligently about drug issues yet. But it's like 2014, and it's kind of about time that we start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do you think uh, abstinence is the best path for some people? Well, I guess I mean, it tends to be a self-regulating mechanism when it comes to human beings and their substance use. And you know, if it turns out that a substance interacts badly with your life and your lifestyle, then yeah, sure, abstinence is the way to control that. That's the logical thing to do. To suggest that the only way seems absurd to me. Um, just like I wouldn't go to an abstinent person and say, uh, a person who abstains and say, "Hey, just try this line of cocaine. It's fine." I don't need them to tell me that the line of cocaine is going to lead me down a destructive path of uh, self degradation. It's like there's a whole scale of reality here that we're not getting in touch with because it's polarized between abstinence or or. You're a drug addict. There's, there's a middle ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of people think that it's, uh, crack is a drug that it's impossible to have any control over at all. But uh, what does your experience say about that and other people you know? Do you know a lot other people that control their crack use? Um, either, either, uh, yes, I guess I guess yeah. Um, however, I know also a lot of the, a lot of us, a lot of people. First of all, a lot of people have smoked crack. Where I come from, um, growing mm-hmm. up in the eighties and nineties in New York, I mean, I came to find out that a lot of people had tried it. So, yeah, I mean, the emphasis that people have controlled crack use there, and the fact that millions of people have tried it, and it really hasn't. You know, all the the whole crack at the of the 80s was really a bunch of garbage. Um, this problem. 
So the answer is yes, I do know people who control it. You know, I know people who go way back even further than I do with the drug who have tried to be as recently as or we or who knows. I think we experience negative side effects sometimes within the usage, but if you look at the, our lives as a whole, it certainly doesn't affect a lack of control. You know, it's like if you drink too many shots of alcohol, you're going to have negative consequences the next day. But that doesn't mean your life is going to fall apart. That's not how I look at it. And for me, crack is an easier drug for me to take than alcohol. Like, I know for myself that if I had a martini lunch, it'll have just a, a, a sparker effect on me than if I this smoke a couple you know, just not, you know. So, yeah, it, it turns out there's a little, it's a little more subtle than where we unravel at the moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, um... You think crack is worse than alcohol? Alcohol is worse than crack, or is it depending? No, I mean I don't place a judgment on either way. But yeah, it's an individual. Mm-hmm. For me, for my mm-hmm. stomach, I mean, yeah, I can, I can actually, I'm pretty good with whatever substance you're gonna give me. Like I can drink and maybe even go out of control, but still really be in control. And that's because I grew up in New York City. I've had experience dealing with unexpected things while intoxicated. When I analyze hmm. the physical and mental effect of alcohol versus cocaine on my system, it's way different to control cocaine than alcohol. Control in the sense of like mental, intellectual control and emotional control. Mm-hmm. So, what do you I, think I, we I can? Know, have a, go ahead, sorry. What do you think uh, we can do about uh, changing the drug war? Do you think that we can uh, get rid of the drug war? Well, I, you know, I, we, we've seen some progress in our lifetime. I, you know, unfortunately right now I think there's too much invested to, you know, really see a close end to the drug war. I think once we start making intelligent correlations between drugs and we realize that the quote-unquote war that we're fighting against cocaine and heroin is ridiculous next to a society that endorses and embraces alcohol use. If you look at the way alcohol is presented and advertised and the way that colleges turn people into, you don't turn people into drink, but drinking is a sanctioned activity when you're 18 to 22 years old at a higher education institution. That means that, you know, that's going to create a lot of people whose drug of choice is alcohol. So, but in my opinion, there's nothing like alcohol is the fact that we as society have managed to keep this alcohol thing under control to some degree indicates that we could probably do it with all the drugs. You know, there is really nothing qualitatively different about alcohol than other drugs. So it's like we're fighting a war that has nothing to do with the substance itself or its physical harm to society or the individual. We are not fighting a war based on that. So once we realize that it's a lie, that we're fighting on a lie, then maybe slowly but surely we can work towards intelligent policies in the long run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when we start looking at the epidemiological data, the, the number one killer drug is actually cigarettes, and number two is alcohol worldwide. Right, and look, I mean, my opinion is 
we're, you know, just visuals, we should be able to do whatever harm to our own bodies that we choose. You know, the issue is, yeah, alcohol and cigarettes are very lethal substances, and we have regulated them to the point where anyone who drinks or tobacco knows knows the potential health risks. And so, mm-hmm. certainly, I believe in our in our. Yeah, I believe that we should have the choice to take those health risks and enjoy the substances we enjoy. And if you accept that with alcohol and cigarettes, there's absolutely no reason you can't accept it with cocaine, heroin, or whatever else you happen to like. Or in my case, marijuana, which is really my favorite drug. Well, I I absolutely agree with you that it is up to the individual um, to be well-informed that the information should be available. People should know what risks they are taking. They should be prepared. Um, And if they choose, uh, you know, they should be also aware that there are safer and more dangerous ways to use drugs. Um, Using daily every day is uh, more problematic than taking some spaces between. It helps to control it, uh, you know. Things like, you know, smoking cigars and not inhaling is a lot safer than smoking cigarettes and then sucking that smoke down your lungs. But, you know, there's the safer and less safe ways to use things. Well, what worries me the most is we don't have a lot of information. What I'm learning is that drug combinations are are some of the most dangerous circumstances. You know, combining the wrong drugs can create the worst consequences. Mm -hmm. Of drug use, and there's really very little information, very poor research on that right now. So, yes, I mean we can discuss lo- like logically, like we wanted to use less substances, but the important thing is that mm-hmm. like you don't mix. You know, mm-hmm. how, how how are you going to teach kids to not mix an opiate with a benzo when you're not even telling them? You know, when you're just saying just say no, or you're saying don't do heroin. That is not helpful information. It's hard to overdose on heroin. It's very easy to overdose on heroin and, and a drink or two, or a combination of alcohol and heroin, combination of heroin. And this is stuff I'm just learning through other users in the last months since starting the podcast. It's like, you know, our health officials are not doing a responsible job of informing us what's going on. And it's, it's a really crappy situation, if you ask me that we are still delivering this message, don't do heroin, as if that helps anyone not do heroin, or don't do alcohol, instead of actually giving people the intelligent tools we need to make decisions about our drug use. It, it, it really blows my mind, and it, 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 it bothers me almost on a visceral level. Yeah, this is actually a project I'm working on. Um, I've started working on a book about uh, safely using opiates and because you know we have the data you know like the new york state department of health has the data like 95 percent of drug overdoses are caused by mixing drugs and we know which ones are really dangerous we have the data but the you know i mean the agencies have the data scientists have the data drug users don't have the information and you know it's a very scary thing to me it really you know it really that bothers me it's like I should be able to go on the, let's say it's 11 at night and I'm, and I'm high on one thing and then someone hands me another pill to try. I should be able to have good, useful information about the harms and, you know, like the safety of that. Where I, and the thing is, the lack of that information is going to cause some people to err on the side of, of, of misusing it, you know. There's going to be some people who are drunk 
and you hand them a Vicodin, and they're going to take the Vicodin without thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is what troubles me. It's like where whereas other people, you know, if I'm drunk and someone hands me a Vicodin, I want to at least make an intelligent decision about taking the Vicodin. Um, and the you know, and the idea that presenting that information somehow encourages drug use, I, I just reject that completely. Like I reject the idea that discussing drug use candidly creates a greater desire. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I agree absolutely. The more people know about uh, about the drugs, um, the less you know, the less likely they are to run into problems with them. I mean, my, one of my own personal stories I can talk about is, you know, I read William Burroughs' book, Naked Lunch, where he described mm-hmm. his opiate use in very great detail. And after finishing that book, it's like, this is not a drug I want to fool around with, you know. But it was because I... Yeah, I'll go, yeah. It's yeah, funny, because you I've, know, there... I'm sorry, I'm sorry to keep severing. Go ahead. Okay, because I felt it was an honest, truthful presentation and not propaganda. And I think that's exactly it. You know, uh, when sharing the stories, you know, there's... Okay, here's my actual problem. The only people who really we kind of give license to share their stories about addiction are recovering or recovered addicts. Um, and it's a quite typical narrative. Often it'll be a celebrity, someone who says, yeah, back in the day, X number of years ago, I had these experiences with drugs. Now I'm clean. Now it's all good. Now let me talk about it. Now to me, in those stories, I hear a lot of old romance. Like I hear romance and people saying, yeah, back in the day, we ran around and acted crazy, but now I'm all clean. Like that doesn't actually help the millions of us who are trying to get, on control, get in control of our usage every day. Now, and, and, and there's a perfect, there's complete license to, to share those stories, but now for me to come out and say, I use crack, I'm hoping to use less crack and be intelligent about it, now I'm accused of romanticizing it or glamorizing it or justifying it. When to me it's quite the opposite. It's like, no, I'm sharing these stories so we can actually achieve a greater understanding for the people who it applies to. It's like, I don't need your story about, not yours, I I don't need anyone's story about drug use from 20 years ago. It's like, that's that's some shit that doesn't, I'm sorry, I don't know. That's something that does not apply to my daily life. It doesn't help me, you know. I appreciate it when someone like, say, you know, like a musician, let's say Slash or Steven Tyler, you know, discusses their old drug use. Um, but again, there's this, you know, there, it's, it's just weird. I, I just, it, it's helpful, but then the real helpful aspect is sharing war stories to get in front of the romance and, and just be realistic about it in real time. Like, the whole idea is you, we don't want to be rock star level, like, levels of drug use, you know. Most of us are not going to be able to handle that. Like, I mean, and most of us don't want to hit rock bottom. Most of us don't want to go that whole route. It's just like, but at the same time, drugs are here. We're using them every day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Again, it's all, it's, everything is everything with this stuff. It's just like, I, I'm going to keep talking about it because it's helpful to me. Because when someone shares to me their stories about crack use, it doesn't make me want to run out and go smoke crack. It makes me want to think intelligently about 
the side effects and the consequences and the negative consequences, and, and all, but also not feel ashamed. It's like, yeah, we're all pretty normal for wanting to use drugs. That's all normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, the traditional view is if you're using drugs, if, well, if you're controlling it, it's bad. You're supposed to, uh, you get told you need to go out and use more and hit rock bottom, then you'll recover. This is something that I got told with alcohol, which was always my drug of choice. I didn't mess around with too many others. I smoked a little marijuana. Um, cocaine didn't interest me too much. I, I felt like I had enough drugs with my nicotine and my caffeine and my alcohol, but that was enough to balance already. But you know, people <laughs> would tell me, you know, yeah, yeah. And people would tell me that, uh, you know, when I was having problems with alcohol, you need to drink more when you hit bottom, you'll stop. And it's like, I don't think that's good advice. <laughs> is that real advice? Like, I mean, it's yeah, crazy. I, people will just parrot the most insane ideas about recovery without thinking about it. It's as if we don't have brains and logic and reason at our disposal to actually solve these problems. Like, we have to rely on some voodoo. But, I mean, what you're telling me, there's a real it's really, that is what's devastating us. I mean, the idea that, like, you either, it's just, that is what causes families to be torn apart, in my opinion. It's like, oh, okay, you want to drink? So you better go up and drink a lot and hit rock bottom, and we don't really want anything to do with you until you're ready to repent. It's like, mm-hmm. I just find, you know, that's the whole ostracization aspect that, and it's just ridiculous to me. It's like, and then it also creates this, like, greater semester, and it's like, oh, well, we can go out and drink, and we can control alcohol, but you're an addict, so you got to stay home. It's like, no. It's like, I got some other shit that's causing me to drink too much, or smoke too much crack like you know you're not special I, you know, I, I, there's nothing special about me that allows me to handle drugs um, and there's nothing special about you you know and the whole like oh well he's an addict just it, we've got it all wrong basically as far as I can tell like the, you know there's just a lot of bad aspects to how we approach substance issues mm-hmm yeah, finally, I I made the decision, you know, for me, alcohol was good once a week, more than once a week, it tended to be a problem twice a week at the max. I, you know, I had to hold that, and once a week is the best. And, you know, if I, if I stick to that kind of schedule, then I don't have problems, and I don't go crazy trying to abstain all the time and being uh, miserable, uh, that that works out for me. So you, so that is that is your basic balance that you figured out? Yeah, and for about 12 years now, I've been uh, sticking to uh, usually once a week. Not once in a while, I do twice a week, but then I always feel a little extra tired out and say, nah, I want to go back to once a week. I, that sounds very sensible to me, you know. Um, and and part, of, part of the problem I have with the abstinence uh, is there's a very serious aspect here. Like, you know, if you're kidding days even though, you know, it is one day at a time and all that stuff, and I do believe in a lot of the recovery philosophy as useful. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's something very defeating if you're counting days and you get, let's say, whatever number of days that you're associating your personal power and you have one, let's call it a slip-up. Something that deteriorates your confidence, your morale, and you think you're a bad person and 
all this stuff, and it's like, you know, again, it just, it, it's just very, it's just like, I don't know, it doesn't really seem like we, oh, you know what I'm saying, I'm, uh, I'm articulating it. Um, I just think the whole thing about, like, days of sobriety is an instructive way to think about your, your behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the more effective uh, addiction treatment approaches, they count the, the total days. They don't count the consecutive days. Things like Alan Marlatt's relapse prevention program or the Project Match, they said, you know, if out of the last uh, 365 days you didn't drink for 300, that was a really great success. Instead of saying, well, you uh, relapsed yesterday, so you lost all your 365 days before. That's interesting to me. I think mean, your 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 team is something that I don't know about alternative recovery programs. That's that again, it's sensible. It's like if you look at the like, I think the uh, I think Dan Savage, the scholar, says like if you've gone through a marriage or whatever relationship, I mean, you've only experienced infidelity a few times. That's actually really good. Like it's hard to be monogamous, for instance. Now I'm taking this to a different area of human behavior. But it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to look at the totality of your behavior. And that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, well, I'm, I think we're – I'm kind of running out of topics here. So I'm going to ask you what uh, you would like to leave us with this evening. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. Just to ha- you know, to be able to have an honest discussion, I think is is a little liberating. Um, you know, uh, I don't have much in the really, so I would just check out my podcast, Dope Stories, DopeStories.com. dot com. Check out my Twitter feed, dedicated to drugs necessarily. <laughs> Observation about my life. It's Shane Schlager, S C H L E G E R. That's it. I mean. Yeah, sunshine, beautiful day. Okay, thanks. Okay, thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Shane Slager. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, good night, everybody. We'll see you all next week.